You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing the most inspirational leaders in the Australian tech industry together to collaborate, share stories and exchange ideas. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast and the latest in our special talent acquisition series. As ever, we have a cohort of industry experts who are ready to share their thoughts and insights with you. So let's get into the intros. Over to you, Lauren. Great. Thanks. Hi, Liam, and thanks for having me. I'm Lauren Trithowen. I've worked in HR and employee experience for over 20 years. Um, I'm a registered psychologist, and I started my career in management consulting at PwC uh, before moving into a head of culture role and then head of HR role at Australia Post. And I'm currently head of talent at MYOB. And MYOB are a business management platform. Um, we're designed to help businesses start, survive, and succeed. And I suppose it's also relevant to to today's discussion. Um, For almost six years, I was on the board of the 100% Project, which is a not-for-profit organisation that aims to address gender inequality in mid to large Australian organisations. Awesome. Thanks, Lauren. Welcome. Um, Nandita. Thanks, Liam. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Nandita. Um, I'm the Talent Acquisition Manager at PEXA, which is a fintech. I've been there for almost two years. Uh, Prior to that, most of my life has been in HR. um, And I also started my career um, at the big four. So I was at um, Accenture, uh, Lauren, when I started my career. So it's a good grounding. Um, And then since then, I've worked for a range of different organisations and um, so um, across a range of different industries. Um, But happy to be here today. Cool. Thanks, Anita. And Alisa. Hi, Liam. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me here today. Uh, My name is Alisa and I am the Talent Acquisition Lead at uh, Coles Group. So I'm responsible for growing our e-commerce team, which has been growing quite rapidly. Just like Lauren and Andita, I've also started my career in consulting. So I've actually started also at PwC and then um, moved on to uh, different roles in the talent acquisition recruitment space. So um, I've done primarily a lot of things in the tech recruitment, data analytics, e-commerce, and that's what I do right now um, with calls. I'm quite passionate about diversity, inclusion, so I'm a member of Agenda um, Equity Network, and also quite passionate about um, emerging talent. So I'm really keen to help out graduates to get into the industry. I uh, do some mentoring in the the industry, whatever I can. And also I used to run a meetup that had about two and a half thousand members in there with exactly the same purpose. So yeah, super excited to be here today. All right, thanks, Alisa. And Matt. Thanks, Liam. Um, Good to be here today. So I'm Matt Woodard. I'm head of talent for a design consultancy called Tory. Uh, I've been in recruitment for 15 years now, I guess. Started in recruitment uh, agencies back in New Zealand and um, the last 10 plus years. Uh, I've been um, TA Teams. Um, I also started in um, in consulting for for PwC as well, um, but more <laughs> recently, kind of kind of dipping in and out of consulting and product companies. Um, and uh, yeah, most recently with uh, with Slanum, but uh, but joined um, joined Tory about nine months ago. I've also and um, I just got an email reminding me today that I've done. I've just ticked over seven years running the Melbourne Recruitment Meetup. So um, something that I've been been a real passion project for me for 
um, for as long as um, I've been in Australia. And I met uh, Melissa, I'm sure, I'm sure I've met Nadita there as well. Hopefully Lauren and, and meetups to come. Um, and um, yeah, we've got, so we're pushing 2000 members. So it's a, it's a fantastic um, community of, uh, of people. So yeah, it's me. Awesome. Thank you. Great to have you all with us. Um, so what are we talking about today? So um, following on from our last episode on tapping into emerging tech talent, uh, which you, if you haven't already listened to, I, I highly recommend it. Um, we realized there was some mileage left in the topic, uh, specifically around how we can attract and support people from more varied, diverse groups um, into the uh, tech Australian tech industry. Um, so that's what today's about. Um, despite the perceived economic challenges in the market, the long-term growth and scale ambitions of Australian tech companies doesn't seem to have dampened, and as such, the demand for tech talent is still very high. Fortunately, the number of people entering the tech and, and software engineering workforce, either through university or, or career change, is increasing year on year. So taking the right approach to recognizing, attracting, and supporting this talent could provide some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, which brings me very nicely to what Lauren wants to talk about today, which is um, how we can be creative and or innovative in attracting people from diverse groups into the tech industry. So, Lauren, I'll just hand over to you to give that a bit more context. Oh, thanks, Liam. Um, it's quite timely having this conversation today, one day after International Women's Day. Um, and actually, the the topic, uh, I suppose, parallel to that to that topic was um, a key theme that came out in the panel that we had internally at MYOB, all about the fact that um, where people get their um, bias or gendered views around um, what is appropriate for males and females starts so early. Um, and I know that that topic was covered a lot in the previous podcast that was recorded. Um, I suppose looking at creative and innovative ways to attract more diverse groups into tech is um, is is what MYOB is focused on with a program called Develop Her, um, which is really trying to solve the pipeline issue into tech and trying to grow the pie of people who are working in, in tech rather than just poaching, you know, females from other other companies and, and kind of boasting about how many females you have are actually trying to increase the number of women that are working in, in the tech industry. Um, so develop her is essentially a scholarship that's been designed for those who identify as being a woman, wanting to make a career switch into technology uh, with little or no technology experience. Um, so it's for women of any age. They're paid a full-time wage. We pay for their six-month RMIT course in software development, provide them with a buddy and a coach. Um, and then upon graduation from their RMIT course, they're um, guaranteed a role in the protege developer program, which then provides them with a year of training and pathway to become an associate developer in 12 to 18 months. So it's something that we're pretty proud of. Um, obviously, when we're talking about diversity, that can be quite broad. Um, and we do look at um, at the stats around um, cult cultural ethnicity, sexual orientation, family status, neurodiversity, um, as part of our kind of demographic collection and the, and the work that we're doing. But one of the things that we've identified as being a real focus, particularly for women in tech and being a tech business, is how do we grow the pie and, and encourage more women um, by giving them these opportunities to be able to come and study and, and join MYOB in that way. So um, a bit of a shameless plug, I suppose, as well, given um, <laughs> that this, 
<laughs> given that this podcast is going live soon, um, our intake of developers is actually open right now um, and closes on Tuesday, the 21st of March. So if anyone who's listening to this podcast does know an amazing woman in their life of any age who might be interested, please encourage them to apply and, and visit our website. Could, yeah. Can I ask what, what the, the how long has that been going on? What's the um, you know, was there a, a previous iteration of that? Has it has it become developer over a period of time, or is that something that um, you know it's it's in its in its in its infancy and is a newer a new idea? Yeah, um, no, it's been running for a number of years. Um, I think I want to say five, but it could be even longer than that. Um, and um, it it came from an idea. Um, from um, someone within the business, within the recruitment team, um, who kind of came um, to the exec and said, hey, I think we should be doing more in this space. Here's our idea. And it's kind of evolved from there. So it did, it started in Australia. We now, um, last year, took um, a couple from New Zealand as well. So we've um, offered scholarships to 19 women um, since the program began. And um, we'd obviously love to do to do more. It's, I suppose it's our a bit in in encouraging and promoting women in um, software development. Matt, have you got any exposure to that? Yeah, actually, um, I was at NYAV for a brief period in 2016 when the um, when the program kicked off, um, and it was a huge piece of work. And credit, huge credit to um, to the people running it because there was a lot of effort to to get to get it over the line in terms of. Um, getting the like, gov- government buying because you're basically you're advertising you, you're being deliberately discriminatory um, by only targeting a certain demographic of women so you had to, had to get a lot of um, buy-in from exec and um, and certain various groups in order to make this happen so huge huge piece of work and um, a lot of a lot of barriers to, to overcome to make it successful in the first the first cohort I think it was a very small start with us maybe three or four people but um, but yeah, it's 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 amazing the um, the the difference that uh, those people made, um, and the the opportunities then YB was was presented to people who may have you know may have not been able to get into it or more mature had kind of already had a career had families and were getting into it, and, um, you know kind of changed like you know meaningfully changed their lives. It's a really really good thing to be to be part of. So yeah, kudos to that, and you know fully endorse Lauren's um, shameless plug to um, to get people um, to to apply. <laughs> Yeah, yeah like, you know, we've 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 um you know when we talk about talk about diversity, I think particularly within within the tech industry, diversity is, is so much more than 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 gender, but it tends to be it, the, the conversation, particularly in the tech industry, tends to default to gender diversity. That, you know that that kind of subsection of it, um, and I you know I know this is something that you and I discussed the other day, Lauren. Like, it's not there being. L- significantly less females in the tech industry than, than than males that's not something we can necessarily do something about today like that's how many people there are so that context of you know we're just robbing peter to pay paul by taking a female from this company and perhaps should use two female names there rather than two male names but um you know <laughs> taking females from one company to another doesn't increase the overall picture it just helps one company's stats and, and costs the other right so to to be thinking a bit more long term around okay well how do we how do we bring more females into into the industry so that those numbers are you know we, uh, in in the future are, are more are more even um yeah that's really i think the all that can be really done in, in kind of long term solving the problem we can't fast track there's no shortcut to having five years software engineering experience but if we get more people having their first day in software engineering today in five years time that will be 
that'll be that'll be a very different picture. So, um, Elisa, I know this is something that's very very close to your heart as well. What what's um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I totally agree. We need to bring more women into the industry, but also it reaches a different point at some point in their career, which is going to be how do we keep women in the tech industry as well? Because they take a break, um, for example, for maternity leave, and then they come back in a couple of years. And that's when it becomes more difficult for them to come back because they've got this gap on the resume. And uh, we've got a program which um, which really too ran for the second time at Coles Group. It's called Relauncher and um, it's 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 an incredible program. Um, I'm not biased, I'm just <laughs> you know quite quite passionate about it personally. So what the program is, we um, have an intake of um, applications and then we make an offer to those that took career break um, for whatever reasons and they want to return into the um, tech industry. So those women get into this program and for the first six months, they um, get coaching and mentorship and uh, they start working on projects and then they have a guaranteed employment um, after six months. So yeah, they can work part-time. Those roles are quite flexible. So, yeah. I feel like between developer and relauncher, we've got we've got two pretty pretty awesome initiatives there. Um, yeah, that's that's nice, nicely nicely coincidental that um, you two are, are both on uh, on the on the call today and um, and able to share that share that with the audience. Um, Nadita, do you have any um, any any thoughts on on that around that kind of creativity, innovation, and uh, in that attraction piece? Yeah, totally. Um, I think these both these programs sound amazing. And I have heard of a number of different organisations, I suppose, doing similar things to MYOB um, and, and Coles. Um, but I have to say, in terms of in the industry, um, the program that MYOB has um, is something that I've actually heard of quite a lot. And um, I'd say that it's, you know, obviously seen as quite a successful program. So um, Texas, I think, on a different kind of a journey and um, also quite early in their diversity journey. So um, it's really great to be able to hear um, these kind of ideas and things that are working well. And um, because I think, it, you know, as you said, Lauren, it really helps the industry overall. Um, and, uh, you know, growing the the female talent is, is absolutely one part of the um the representation across, you know, diversity that that's really important to focus on. Matt. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in, incredible um, uh, examples here. And, um, but I think um, just to reflect on the developer program, I mean, and then what you said earlier, Liam, in terms of it's not something you can just, you can fake, you know, I think um, organizations and companies I've worked for in, in the past have a, have a very short term view on um, diversity, you know, we just need to hire. I mean, I, I remember having a conversation with a Bruce home manager and, and um, you know, women left um, and it was just, just hire more, just hire more women. Okay. It's just go to the well and just hire more women. Okay. Brilliant. That's, that's going to fix it. But um, what what I was lucky enough to do when I was in my, my uh, previous role at Slalom was actually sort of spearhead a lot of diversity and inclusion uh, initiatives. And actually, what it, the the most important thing is actually to take like a longer term view, like you know appreciate that 
um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we need to do more about getting um, more women and more diversity in general into the industry. I mean, like in terms of indigenous groups, there's less than like half of a percent of, of indigenous um, indigenous people in tech. Like it's a criminally low number. You almost almost count the number of people on on two hands. Um, so so actually building relationships in the long term with with those groups is actually way more important and more and more more valuable for the industry as a whole as opposed to just your organization so actually putting in place and sponsoring events and actually um treating this as a three to five to ten year program um is the only way that we're gonna we're gonna make any dent in the in the deficit that we have at the moment um getting into um you know going all the way back into into sort of schools you know and once what's what's um uh, girls women females anyone who, who identifies as such um makes their decisions for their um secondary education at 13 you've, you've kind of lost them to the system to something else so getting getting the kids in into primary schools and, and getting starting to sort of get them um gamifying and doing coding and 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 the te and technical things that actually they is part of is part of just their, their curriculum. They're learning like learning Japanese. My little girl started school a few weeks ago. She's learning Japanese already. So you know, getting getting that sort of stuff seeded early will actually help us in the long term. It's it's, it's a long term gain, but it is in, an important thing to start um, to start thinking about. And and some organisations are already doing that. Some organisations are a lot more um, sway and power. Some of the tech consultancies I see are doing some of that work already really valuable work um and and taking the a really long-term view on um on on you know on that i must say that the the um developer and and relaunch were things that i i hadn't come across or i hadn't heard of before speaking to um to to you lauren and lisa um in the you know the build-up to the to the call today um but how hopefully you know this uh, talking about talking about those those initiatives on this podcast today will you know, be a bit, bit more kind of visibility and awareness of it out there. But how how is that being? Uh, how are they being promoted? Like uh, how how active and and where can people go to um, to find out more about these things? Um, what's the uptake been like um, through those through those efforts? Uh, I can go first if you want, Lisa. Um, so we use LinkedIn predominantly um, and our network. We rely a lot on just our internal network and, and having people talk about it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that Nandita has heard about it. Um, and I hope that we, you know, we, we definitely talk at various conferences um, about the program and, and just try and um, spread the news about when applications are opening um, and every, any, every and any forum that is available to us. So I suppose in terms of channels, we do get high um, uptake in terms of the number of applications. Um, I think particularly because it is such a, a generous program for those um, that are lucky enough to, to receive the scholarship. I think the other thing that we find is that it's not only um, helping us attract those females to the, the scholarship program, but also um, males and females who are interested in working for an organisation that um, has a focus on diversity in this way. So um, we do find when we're speaking to even senior engineers, they're quite keen to come along because they are interested in mentoring or um, sponsoring um, those females that we've got in the organisation are quite keen to be buddies, keen to be mentors. Um, and so we we definitely find that that's an attractive 
um, proposition, not only for those involved in the scholarship, but also others interested in joining MOB. And how about uh, Coles, Elisa? Yeah, pretty much the same. So we use link, uh, LinkedIn a lot. Um, also our team members and we do advertise this program once we actually open um, applications. So just before that, and we do get quite a high number of applications as well. Um, yeah, so and people do talk about it a lot as well because um, it's quite um, an inspiring program, just like uh, Develop Her Relaunch resonates with people. Because, um, you know, it's quite a lot of times you hear about stories that um, women are struggling to return to work after taking maternity leave. And um, so, yeah, our team members promote it quite actively as well. Awesome. Okay. Uh, that's great. Um, so we've talked about the um, we talked about the uh, the wider kind of industry um, concerns there. Um, taking that band down to perhaps a more a more micro level in terms of um, you know, we now, you know, this has been successful and we've, you know, we have, we have more, um, you know, diverse uh, people in the industry. Um, if they've come into the industry, then it's a case of, well, how can we at a, a, an organizational level um, create a more inclusive environment or employee experience to, to support that, that, that diversity. And that's something you and I have discussed in, in, in some detail, um, data. So I guess I'll kind of hand over to you to, 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 to put a bit more detail around that. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, yeah, I think um, what I wanted to, I guess, share around what PEX has been doing is, as I said, we're, we're fairly new on the journey around D&I and um, really eager to learn in terms of what other organisations are doing. But we formed um, our D&I committee in 2020 um, and currently it um, consists of subcommittees. So we are looking at gender, um, LGBTQIA+, disability and accessibility, reconciliation and culturally and linguistically. So there's a few different um, pillars that we're focused on. Um, and I think when we think about employee experience to support diversity overarchingly, we're really um, getting some uh, really great positive feedback around our parental leave policies, our flexibility and, and wellness um, policy. So, for example, um, where we consider ourselves hybrid, we um, really support flexible working. So although as a team we love to um, meet and collaborate and, and obviously celebrate face-to-face, -face, um, we also, um, you know, support people to be able to work from anywhere within um, Australia. We have flexible work arrangements, so we consider part-time. I myself am a part-time uh, new mum or fairly new mum and it, it was really great to apply for a full-time role and be able to have a really open discussion early on on being able to be part-time and still um, be involved in the role in, in the way that I wanted to. Um, and then from a parental leave perspective, we've got six months of paid parental leave for primary carers um, and then three months of paid leave for secondary carers. But something that I'm, uh, you know, in, in the midst of, of taking up myself is childcare assistance. So um, PECS offers up to $1,000 per month per child um, of childcare assistance, which, you know, I've got a two-year-old, she's just turned two, and um, it's it's such a blessing as we all know childcare fees are uh, through the roof. So it's it's amazing to be able to kind of, you know, talk about that even with candidates. And this is where I think the, you know, Lisa, Matt, you've spoken about, you know, not just, uh, I suppose, women, but 
anybody can take that up if they've got children, for example, at, you know, in that age group um, as well. And then the other thing that I um, I think that we do really well and we certainly get a bit of a what around is um, apart from your annual leave, um, you get 12 paid wellness days to recharge per year. So basically a day off per month um, to be able to kind of do whatever you want to and whether that's spending time uh, focusing on a hobby or whether it's spending time with your kids or, you know, whatever it is. And I think from a wellness perspective to recharge and have that ability um, is fantastic. So I think, you know, there's there's all these different things that I think we focus on um, to create that inclusive environment um, so that no matter what journey people are on um, and whether, you know, I guess taking into account our people's background and abilities and culture and gender and sexual orientation, we really want to make sure that um, we're able to have a, a team that um, is proud to be themselves right from, from day dot. Yeah, look, I, you know, <clears throat> when Matt, you was there sitting there open mouthed when that uh, you, you announced <laughs> the, the the daycare piece, I had the same reaction when you told me this uh, that last week. Um, you know, that's uh, that's 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 enormous, um, and and I think um, it's really easy. And I I made, the, I made the same the same thing. You know, the the, the same um, kind of immediate reaction. It's really easy to go, oh, okay, well that's you know that's great for you know return to work return to work mums, but actually. It's more than that. Like I'm not a return to work mum, and that would be amazing for me, mm. um, you know. And and so it's it's really about creating an environment. I think, and, you know, obviously speaking about your business, and this is a correct correct if I'm wrong, but um, I feel like it's 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 creating an environment that um, really kind of recognises that people have different challenges outside of outside of work. We've all got lives that we need to live, and there are always you know the 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 various things that we have to we have to deal with outside of that. Um, work's obviously a huge part of of, of our lives, but um, you know, to to have a lot of time, we have to kind of put life on the shelf, go to work, yeah. put work back on the shelf, and then go back to and go back to our life. And I feel that that certainly the you know the employee benefits that you've um, you discussed there help um, bridge that gap, if you like, between the two, and and yeah. and that that work is taking life into consideration, um, yeah. and and you know, it's, it's quite. To, uh, quite challenging things around, you know, um, daycare and wellness and, um, you know, flexibility is is really important. I think that would certainly, you know, we have a privileged position at Evolution. We're a, uh, we're, we're a recruitment agency, so we speak to lots of different companies all the time around, um, you know, their benefits and how they, how they, uh, the things that they offer, offer company, uh, offer their employees rather. Um, and it's really interesting to see some of the really kind of creative and innovative ideas that are out there in terms of how we can um, give a bit back. Yeah. You know, and, and and there's so much more consideration for what people do outside of work and making that fit with work rather than it being having to choose between one or the other. Um, 100% agree. I, I think that, you know, we are all in talent roles, but we're also employees and we've also got our own personal lives in, in whatever shape and form um, that we're leading. And I think it's it's really exciting to be able to talk to candidates about things that um, I suppose I'm not just um, in one shade. And so any candidate that I speak to, it's really um, great to be able to talk about a range of different benefits that you know, we'll probably end up suiting them at some point or another um, if they were to come on board and to be able to genuinely 
live through those benefits um, is just another layer of something. You know, sometimes you need to talk about benefits as a TA professional that you don't necessarily get to enjoy yourself, um, but that's not the case here. And I, I think, you know, that that probably makes us a little bit unique, which is great. Absolutely. Alisa? Well, Liam, you mentioned that you, you've been speaking with, you know, lots of companies and, you know, you, you are obviously in the position where you get to learn about other programs. So I'm just curious, what what sort of programs have you come across that you find really interesting, really innovative in that space? Um our our exposure is um, is more around the kind of employee benefits and the EVPs that um, that, that um, companies that we work with work with provide and look there's 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 any number of them like there's there's such a such a variety in um, in ways that companies are, are are coming up with to support their employees um, and taking into consideration. Um, like I say, what their what their challenges are outside of work and the other things they have to consider. And if you know the easier those things are, the better you're going to be able to perform at work. Um, and the more I think you know, retention's been a, been a huge issue over the last few years, particularly in the tech industry. I'm sure other industries as well, but we, you know, we're we're in the tech space. Um, and so keeping keeping your, your your employees engaged and and happy with with what their you know, the purpose that they're having. Um, and and how they're you know the problem the company is solving or the impact that the company is having on um, on you know whether whether it be you know humanity or the environment or you know, food production or, or whatever it might be um, or you know, disrupting um, traditional industries um, I think that that a lot of a lot of companies I suppose the the ones the ones that were, that are most impressive the ones that we're most impressed by um and that seem to have the most um kind of uptake in terms of interest from from candidates um are where there's that there's that there's that there's that balance between the two um and they actually kind of care about you know seeking to seeking to understand what the what that that candidate's life is about um, and how they how they can support that to get to get the best out of them. You know, I've been in recruitment pretty much all my adult life, um, and back when I started in you know in the early two thousands, um, it was you know this is the job, this is the salary. Do you want it or not? Right? <laughs> yeah, employee benefits were like you know, um, will you get sick pay? I guess, um, <laughs> and that was very much the attitude. That was just how it was, um, and that just feels so alien and like you know that's that's that's. A dinosaur now compared to compared to the, the 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 where we're at now. I'm sure there are companies like that still. I'm sure there was there's still those attitudes out there. Um, definitely less than there were. Um, and certainly, you know, I don't you know, at Evolution we don't tend to, to to work with too many organisations or any that I can think of that that, that kind of operate with that mindset. Um, but but yeah, I think it's where where there's where there's creativity, um, innovation, and it's done with the individual in mind rather than. The company in mind, like if, you, if the individual is happy, they will perform better at, at work. They'll be able to add more value to the business. They'll enjoy their job more, um, and we will be able to retain them long term. And there's that um, that whole kind of um, you know, loyalty loyalty piece uh, benefit off the back of that as well. Um, Matt, what are your thoughts? I'm really keen to hear what um, what Lauren has to say because I guess there's there's some really good stuff happening from from memory at NYB. But what I will say is that Nandita, it sounds like you've um, you know, you've you started on a really, you know, really good, really good journey there. Yeah. Um, it's tricky, isn't it, though, because you know everyone has different different needs and different requirements. You know, I, I, as you as you say, I was sitting here with my mouth open because 
thousand dollars a month for childcare is would be unbelievably good for me because I've got four and five year olds, <laughs> and that's just the, the point I am in my life. But there are people who mm. who don't have kids, don't want kids, are on different journeys. So that actually isn't that isn't a benefit to them at all. Tech mm. companies fall into the habit of. Um, Oh, we've got we've got an amazing culture. We've got table tennis tables, we've got pool tables, we've got an open bar. But you know, that doesn't work for quite a lot of people. So mm-hmm. then you've you've automatically kind of marginalised a lot of people who uh, who want to work in tech but aren't interested in that kind of almost like um, bro culture. You know, um, so it, it is tricky. It is a balance. But um, I, I think the what I've seen um work really well is um is creating early from from early creating um employee resource groups EIGs where you can actually provide your people with a voice with a platform and an opportunity to 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 be themselves to further um awareness or um activities or events in that space where they actually that that is what they really want to be to to be focused on mm-hmm. um and it may be it may be re- that reconciliation plan is it's an unbelievably good thing to to be involved in um, in that in sort of learning more about um, indigenous peoples and how you can best support that um, and obviously all the all the associated the pride um, the pride groups obviously just just had pride week in Sydney as well um, really really valuable and important that that people feel like they they belong and that, that, and that's to me is kind of it's more true inclusion that, that everybody feels that they have a voice within the an organisation that is so so diverse yeah um one of the other things that i i have have seen which i was pretty impressed about was an organization who rather than sort of give um five hundred dollars for for this or a thousand dollars for this or this giving them a pool of a pool of money which they say you do what what you think is the most appropriate thing with this money you go and explore your passions your hobbies mm-hmm. your, that sort of thing as opposed mm-hmm. to saying okay you have to fit within this narrow box that we've decided is is appropriate mm-hmm. for our organization so that that's that would be you know that that's something that i'm um you know as we're growing the team and building the function at, uh, at tory that we're, we're sort of thinking about and considering how we can sort of accommodate um uh, the broadest range of people to be both to 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 ensure that we do have a healthy and inclusive environment but also from from an outside perspective that we are seen as that employer of choice and that we we that people can join us and thrive and be themselves as opposed to having been two different personas in, in and out of work yeah because there's a finite bucket of money right because I, I was i was thinking similar things matt to you i've got a two-year-old so child care would be paid for would be amazing um but we know in our organization 41 percent of people have children so for that 60 percent that don't they're probably sitting there going well what about me mm-hmm. um and you can offer it as a perk that's a, a dollar amount. You can say you need to spend it on this. You can, as Matt mentioned, say you can spend it on whatever you want. And then essentially that becomes a, a part of your salary right? because there's a finite bucket and you either spend it on something or it goes into your pay packet, I suppose. So um, to your question, Matt, around what MYOB is doing, we've we've focused most of our efforts here on Flexperience or flexible work, which we, we've called Flexperience, um, which um, has encouraged people to create their own flex deals 
within their teams. So um, everyone uh, essentially has been given some guidance on how to create a flex deal, and they think about how are we can, how often are we going to come together face to face? How are we going to communicate? Whether we're face to face or not face to face? We have um, a lot of um, remote teams, so you know sometimes that's not even a possibility. Um, and uh, thinking through all, how are we going to celebrate together for for birthdays and milestones and and, and um, end of project kind of celebrations, etc. Um, and that's happening at the local level. So every team create their own flex deal. And then I suppose at the macro level, we've said um, we want everyone in the office one day a week. We want um, to everyone to work from home one way a week if they if they wish to do so. And then the other three days they can choose where or um, how they wish to work um, as a team. So that could be one day from the office and four days at home. It could be four days from the office, one day at home, kind of whatever, or, or, or something in between there. Um, and of course, it's not just about the location of where they're doing the work, but what makes sense in terms of the hours and how they work together and, and really empowering teams to, to make the decisions around how they're going to get the work done. And we're quite clear around what are the OKRs that need to be done for that quarter and what's the expectation that's set. And then up to the teams to kind of work out the best way in which in which they do that. Um, and we've found that that's actually worked. I think, um, you know, post-COVID, a lot of organisations went quite um, flexible in how in how they, um, you know, what they offered to their people. I feel like we're starting to see some of that being clawed back. I know that we certainly have a lot of candidates um, who are applying for roles. One of the first questions they ask is, what's your flexible work policy and, and how do you work... Um, I can see a lot of nods there, so I'm assuming a lot of other people are getting this <laughs> question as well. Yeah, it's a big one. Um, and and predominantly there are people who are saying, oh, you know, we were one day a week, now we're being asked to come three days a week, or now, you know, then we went to three, now we're four. We feel like it's just kind of creeping up and up and up. Um, so I feel like from a, um, from a benefits perspective, it's certainly something that um, is attractive to people, but also from a, a diversity perspective, and we were kind of talked about managing our lives outside of work um, in helping people try and find that that balance. It, it helps in that respect as well. Absolutely, yeah. Look, that's <clears throat> it would be the most most commonly asked question. Uh, in fact, I can't think, I can't think of a. I'd be surprised if there was a, any candidate conversations going on in the last what are we now three years um, that didn't uh, that didn't involve in, in, involve needing a, a specific answer to that. And pers from personal perspective, you know, running a business that was the single most difficult part of COVID for me was trying to find that right balance that that didn't that that offered enough people. The, the 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 what they what they wanted what they felt was important um and you know there are, there are three diverse uh, groups um within that and, and that is people who never want to go to the office again people who want to go to the office every single day and something in the middle and there's no way of pleasing all three of those groups <laughs> so you know having to having to you know we went we went back and forth so many times over that over that period um that yeah it was, that was definitely the hardest part of the covid um covid period for me um Matt, yourself? There's, um, I mean, we're very, very flexible ourselves. It's um, just, there's no mandate around it. Although I am hearing in um, slightly bigger corporates, you know, uh, in the city, you know, companies have got expensive buildings that are empty at the moment that, uh, that they're mandating sort of five days, five days back in the office. And they're, as a result, they're, um, they're running the risk of losing a, a huge part of their workforce who just won't tolerate it anymore. So 
it's amazing how um, the global pandemic can uh, can change the way it works like permanently. Yeah, look, that that um, that that mandated five days back in the office as a as an agency recruiter that is one of the one of the best candidate generation um, uh, <laughs> techniques that, that that they're out there at the moment. So thanks for that, those companies. Um, you know, I just don't know that that's I don't know if we're ever going to realistically get back to that. Um, or, or, or why why you would need to, or why you well, I understand why you want to in that you know given the context you've given there, Matt. But I'm not sure it's necessarily wise. But that's just my opinion. Um, Nandita. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that, Matt, because um, I've also like my hubby is is also in part of one of those <laughs> organisations that asking them to come back to work a little bit more often. Um, but. I think for Pexo, we've taken a bit of a different approach. Um, and again, we're getting some feedback around, I guess, just surprising. Um, we uh, we also, like MYOB, are really flexible in terms of based on individual needs and then the team needs and then the overarching organisation needs. So we'd love to have everyone come into the office um, at least, you know, once a quarter, if possible, so that we can do our celebrations and um, acknowledgements. Um, and then it's really up to teams individually to set up, whether it's one day a week, no days a week, once a fortnight, whatever it might work, um, based on, you know, the teams and, and how they want to work. Um, and then... And the feedback that we're getting around um, what I was referring to earlier is just uh, we call it the Re Melbourne Reimagination Project. So our head office is in Melbourne and so a big part of our workforce um, just because of pre-COVID is, is Melbourne-based. Um, and we're actually right in the middle of um, doing a bit of a change to our office and, um, you know, creating some quiet zones or more collabor collaboration zones um, because we're getting the feedback from our people that when I do come into the office, well, it's still, you know, lots of rooms and things, but I actually am coming in because I want to chat to people. I want to be able to talk to them, discuss ideas, et cetera, and not just be stuck at my desk. So we're really changing things up um, and taking that feedback on board so that, um, as you said, Liam, you know, people who want to come in every day, no worries. And if you're not someone who comes in every day, but you really want to have um, zones, I guess, where you can have a chat or a discussion or um, bring people together in your team, then that's available as well, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that hybrid um, is and, and and definitely should be should be here to stay. So, um, yeah, I think we've we haven't had to make any changes to our policy for over a year now. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say everyone's happy with it. That's yeah, that's uh, that's good good for us. Um, Elisa, just I just want to kind of just change the change the tack on the conversation slightly, just to kind of bring in the um, the the point that um, uh, you wanted to talk about today, um, which was around um, increasing the positive impact on gender equity through um, coaching and and education in talent acquisition. Um, so, just you know, that's that's something you were you, you were very keen to talk about today. So, I want to give you the give you the platform to um, to to discuss that. So, over to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, I'm uh, one of the members in our Gender Equity Network at Coles, and we've gone through a lot of training. So we looked at our internal stats, um, external stats, just to see where the gaps are when it comes to gender equity. And that's what I took away with me and I sort of implemented in the hiring process. So for example, every time we are briefing for the role or discussing about building certain teams. That's when I talk about those stats and those gaps and how we can bridge those gaps um, for, 
from that process. For example, the balance of applications or, um, you know, looking at the salary pay gaps as well. So um, it's incredible to see what Coles is doing because, for example, right now we've got 40% of women in leadership roles already and we've got less than 1% um, in uh, as a pay gap. Um, so that's pretty uh, remarkable targets achieved and we're still working hard and we will be working hard on it. So that's what we implemented in the process. And um, yeah, so for example, if we look at historically, historically female candidates put their salary expectations much lower than uh, their uh, male counterparts, unfortunately. And that's what usually gets offered. You know, that's what I've seen in my recruitment career. That's what gets offered to candidates basically based on the expectations. But it's our job to um, talk about it, raise awareness around it and make sure that there's no uh, gaps. So it's all based on experience. So yeah, and the coaching in the process starts from uh, the very beginning and then we continue having these conversations throughout the whole process. For example, how balanced our shortlists short lists are um, when it comes to gender equity. What about interviewing process? How accommodating are we? Are we open to part-time candidates? Are we open to job sharing arrangements? So we talk about all these uh, points and that's what raises awareness and that's what makes the whole approach more inclusive. Yeah, well, I think uh, just you asked me earlier about the um, visibility that we have <clears throat> of uh, different companies' um, benefits schemes and um, uh, employee experience. Um, one of the things, just to you know, in the context of what we're talking about here, one of the things that I've been really impressed with um, over the last couple of years, uh, there's increasingly, and it's not, it's far from standard, but. Increasingly, we're working with companies who have a um, flexible interview process. So the candidate can almost you can always choose your journey um, of you know how how best um, you can demonstrate your how you think you are, you you can best demonstrate your your capability. Where you know it's quite often that that it's still the most common that there is a pre-described interview process and it's you know it's a first stage which is a conversation a second stage which is a tech test a third stage which is a review of the tech test and a, and a final and a, you know offer and, and, and whatever um and it's at that um where we've seen the most kind of flexibility offered and 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 i think the process has benefited from it the company and the candidate have both benefited from it is around that um, technical assessment, technical test, um, uh, part of it, where you know someone um, may feel that they're better to demonstrate their capability by doing something at home and then sh you know show and tell um, afterwards. Um, other people are not um, kind of. Uh, kind of predisposed to be able to perform well in that type of environment or like a, a test type of environment. Um, so they might prefer to uh, do the exercise in a face-to-face -face, uh, whiteboarding session or screen sharing coding session if we're talking about a software engineer role, for example. Um, and that's something that I, I really only saw for the first time probably two or three years ago. And it's, it's, it's becoming more and more common. I think that um, whether it's, whatever... Yeah, whether we're talking about diversity or, or or not, it's just if you have if if the, your first engagement with the company is saying, okay, well look, it's up to you. you. How do you think your 
um, your your best going to demonstrate your capability in this area? How, how do you perform at your best? Um, how are you most comfortable? How can you you know in, in, interviewing can be a um, can be a stressful stressful process, and some people don't even the the, the best people. Um, can underperform in certain scenarios or certain or, or certain situations. So, um, to answer a question about uh, well, to answer a slightly different question than the one you asked, but um, where we've seen companies offer that flexibility, okay, it's over to you. This is what we this is what we're looking for. These are the skills or the competencies that we require or capabilities we require for this role. Over to you to you know to these are your options in terms of how you can demonstrate that to us what would you how would you like to go about it and right from the outset and the very you know very early instances of um of of communication through that process i think it just gives that the, the candidate a much nicer a much nicer much better feeling that actually this place this is somewhere i want to work right this is that they're already giving me this freedom they're already giving me this flexibility they're already thinking about me as an individual before you know they even know anything about me then that's a really that's a really good start. It's a really good look. Yeah, absolutely, and I totally agree with you because we all operate, um, you know, in, in different structures, different processes. You know, so someone's comfortable just to sit down in the evening and complete their technical assessment at home, whereas someone's more comfortable potentially just doing, you know, a whiteboard um, scenario in person. So, you know, we definitely have those arrangements, which is, you know definitely helpful for the candidates because they can pretty much design their own journey in some uh, some way. And I agree with you and what Matt said earlier as well. So it's all about the experience of an individual. And if we are able to put them at ease and, you know, to make those ticking points a bit softer, smoother, you know, then they might perform better in the process. So, Well, I think what I tend to find or what I tend to think about what I find is that if, where there is a, a you know pre, a pre-described journey, okay, well this is we do this, and then there's a take-home tech test, and it will take you about three hours. Then you've got to send it to this email address, and then we'll review it. Um, someone somewhere decided that that was that was the, that was a structure, um, and I would be very confident in saying that that person that or that personal group of people that decided on that's how we're going to interview people, have decided that because that's how they best felt they would respond in that situation. That's how they best felt they could demonstrate their capability in, in, in that way. Um, and I will, if it works, you know, that's how I, that's how I got my job. So that's how everyone else will get their job rather than kind of actually thinking about it. Okay. Well, there are other ways of demonstrating capability, other ways of, 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 of objectively assessing a candidate's suitability to the role. And um, for us to kind of just pre-describe that might actually mean we're not seeing the best of this person or these people. And we end up not hiring the best candidate for the role and just the best person for the process. But I think what you said, Liam, there is critical around um, asking them how to, these are the critical capabilities of the role. You tell us how you'd like to demonstrate them. Yeah. Because I think it's got to be a match between the role and the person, not just saying you as a person, how do you prefer to be assessed? This is the capability we're looking for. You tell us how you would like to demonstrate that capability is the the critical piece there. And the standardisation that, you know, you can achieve through the various modes of, of, of assessing that capability. Exactly yeah, right. So we are, oh, sorry. Um, so we're assessing capability, not the person who performs best in an interview that was designed a certain way. So, yeah. Matt, what are your Alyssa, thoughts? I just came to understand. Um, did you have a, a challenge in taking the hiring managers on that journey? 
because often hiring managers are, you know, look, this is how I've always done it and they're time poor and they've got, you know, recruitment as on top of everything else that they're focused on. Um, And so for them to be able to go, hang on a minute, yeah, why don't we sort of broaden the way that we choose candidates and allow people to put their best foot forward? Um, Was that a challenge or I'd be keen to understand um, how you you, uh, went through that? I think I'm quite uh, lucky in that sense because um, it's it's a goal for the business as calls group. So it's basically, it's, you know, spoken about, there's a lot of awareness raised around it from different, different groups from the business, um, starting from the leadership team all the way um, down to pretty much all the team members. So there's a lot of awareness around it and people are quite easy to, you know, get on board um, with it. So I can't really say that I've faced really challenges with my stakeholders. So yeah, I think I'm quite fortunate. And uh, we've just had um, our next CEO nominated. So um, you probably heard the announcement. So Leah Weckert is going to be our very first female uh, female CEO. And it's been actually quite widely celebrated, not just in the business, but also outside um, calls group as well, because I, I've had a lot of calls from my friends who would give me a call and say, this is incredible. It's very inspiring. So, yeah, it's something that um, is being uh, talked about across wide organizations. So I'm quite lucky in that sense. Yeah, Matt, really I know that in your zombie. in your current role, you've um, when you when you went to Tory, a big part of that was um, setting up the kind of framework for talent acquisition, interviewing, and and ensuring that that uh, it was uh, it was fit for purpose for for the planned growth of the business. Anything to anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I mean, we we're definitely on a journey with that. Uh, we uh, we're looking to grow, and and um, there is a focus on um, diversifying our leadership group. Um, that's obviously. Um, we're at a point where we we don't have the diversity, but um, going back to to, to Coles and then DTA, actually asked the question that I was that I had in my head. So thank you for doing that. Um, it's it's really encouraging to hear that there's there's such a high proportion of um, uh, of women um, in um, in Coles, and that clearly means that the the leadership is brought in to um, uh, to to that uh, that sort of. Uh, goal and vision because if if they weren't then they would they wouldn't be, wouldn't be happening they would just be getting um, as many people in as quickly as possible regardless of any of any um, anything um, so that's that's really really good um, in, the, in my experience when I found that um, this this works it's it's when the leadership you know it can't you know don't pass that directive through and there's suitable training with every single leader every single interviewer rather um to, around the, the the benefits and the need to be um to, to be interviewing with a as, as much of a you know, diverse and unbiased lens as possible everyone obviously has um you know uh their own their own sort of biases but it's 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 raising the awareness of what those are so that people actually notice that okay i'm being biased i'm gonna i'm gonna put a pin in that and then come back to that so that, but also uh, making sure that you're in the interview panels are as diverse as possible, not just meaning 50% women, 50% men, but actually um, getting people from outside of um, your core group. You know, um, 
developers will have a very clear idea of exactly what they're looking for and they'll they'll they are that you can do this thing or you can't therefore you're good or you're not right but whereas uh, if you actually bring someone in from a product team for example someone who works closely with that person they're going to have a, they're going to have a slightly different lens they're going to have a different view and they will raise things that um wouldn't wouldn't be considered by by one person people with specific skill set so actually giving giving as much diversity within that you interview panel as possible is is the key thing um and then um making sure that when you do debrief on your roles that you set you create an environment again what we were talking about earlier create an environment where people can really be can give true and honest feedback as opposed to just following the the, the most experienced person in the group I think um, you know in Zendesk there was a huge volume of recruitment, and that worked. It worked really, really well because um, everyone was able to have their own voice, and the everybody's opinion was was equally important. I think um, if you can do that, then you end up getting different outcomes to what you would you would typically expect um, in in those situations, as opposed to deferring to to your the the, the, um, the VP of engineering. You're actually sort of challenging them based on your experience. So I think that actually ends up um creating more diverse environment as uh, as a consequence so yeah yeah, some really good stuff there. And I'm just just conscious that we've been talking about this, um, or this, this episode has um, lasted. We're coming up close to an hour now, um, and I think we've, we've we've covered a lot. There's been some some really good um, really good discussions, um, good insights into you know initiatives and um, and, and ideas and uh, and again experiences. So that's that's been really useful. There's certainly some you know some notes that I've taken um, that I think um, you know will help me think differently about things and um some ideas um that i can you know i can i can share around for the for the greater good so um so look, really really appreciate um all of your all of your time this afternoon been really good to speak to you all um and i hope you've all equally had uh, had some some useful takeaways out of the other session today thank you very much thanks Liam. thank you thanks everyone cheers, Liam. thanks so thanks much everyone thanks Liam. it was a great discussion thanks a lot cheers all <laughs>